0: Uh, the scripture today is luke 24 1 through 12 uh, which is um, different than in your bulletin and i believe there's going to be a slide on the first day of the week very early in the morning they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared they found the stone rolled away from the tomb they went in but did not find the body of the lord jesus while they were perplexed about this suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day? And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away, amazed at what had happened. The word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Thank you, Erica, for reading that passage for us. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would give us grace this morning. Um, Help us, Lord, to uh, receive grace both in the preaching of the word and in the table this morning. Make us new, Lord, give us life. Uh, We pray now that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear what you have to say. Lead us, Lord. Uh, Lead us, Lord, to life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, so I'm thinking this morning of uh, how to remember things. Um, I had a, a special event in my life yesterday, I turned 50. And so I'm thinking about how do I, yeah, okay. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, and I'm thinking about how, how do I remember things? Um, I don't know about you, uh, but I'm beginning to, like I forget stuff. Um, and, and now that I've just turned 50, when I forget things, I immediately think I'm losing my mind. Uh, uh, So one thing, and I said this a couple of weeks ago in our service, uh, one thing that helps us remember where we're at, one thing that helps us remember even uh, what we're supposed to be doing is the calendar. Now I know maybe calendar doesn't sound very exciting to you. Maybe some of you get really excited about the calendar and you open up your diary and you are writing down the things that you need to do throughout the week. Um, but the calendar. If you if you have your bulletin here, um, uh, most of the sermon notes will be up on the screen. But one thing I want you to look at in the bulletin is the very first page where it says Sunday morning worship. Right under that, it always tells us where we are in the church calendar. Today is the fifth Sunday after Pentecost. Calendars are really important. I teach at a local university, so the the school calendar is the rhythm of my life so it's summertime right now I get to read what I want I don't have to grade anything Uh, but the fall is coming and I have all kinds of emotions when I think about you know August 15th and then September 1st all the teachers in the room are like yeah don't remind me Uh, but like the sports calendar as well, this is totally nerdy, but I like English football, so my team is Tottenham, and this, it's the off season right now, so I'm looking on my phone every morning, who have we purchased, who have we sold, what's next season going to be like, because in August, that's when the new season starts. Uh, some of you are baseball fans, and you're already well into the season. Some of you can't wait for American football to start. You you know what I'm saying. The calendar tells you where you're at. The calendar also kind of tells you what you should be doing. Now, I I grew up um, playing uh, football in high school, and so when I smell freshly cut grass in the late summer, early fall, I immediately think football, and I immediately think uh, of pain, actually, (laughs) of all of the, you know, preparation for the season, all the practice and and things like that. So the calendar and the church calendar reminds us who we are. It reminds us where we are at and it reminds us what we should be doing. Now, this part of the church calendar, I have a confession to make, is the most boring part of the church calendar. This, this is called the Sundays after Pentecost or uh, it's colloquially called ordinary time. And an ordinary time as opposed to Advent, the season where we're thinking about the coming of the Lord Jesus and we're pe- preparing our hearts, we're thinking about Christmas, it's a wonderful moment. Or the season of Lent and Easter, right, of repentance and then celebration at the resurrection of Jesus. But here, the Sundays after Pentecost all the way up to the first Sunday of Advent is ordinary time. And this really is the time where we live out our lives. It's kind of the mundane. It's the moments where I think we could probably lose track of where we're at. It's where we could forget who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. I think ordinary time is actually the season in the church calendar where we should most acutely, most carefully be thinking about how we live out the reality Of resurrection. There's something brand new. There's something earth-shattering that has happened. Jesus, though died, has been raised to new life. And if that is true, it changes everything. And it means the pattern of my life, how I think about myself, the future I'm hoping for, the past I'm remembering, what I invest in for my children, all of that. How I vote, how I spend my money, what I think about vocation, what church I go to, how do I engage with my neighbors, all of that is influenced by the resurrection. But I think we have a hard time remembering that. And that's what we're going to think about this morning. Our passage this morning, uh, Luke 24, uh, records the first uh, resurrection encounter in Luke's gospel, right? A group of women who... Uh, go to prepare Jesus body for burial well they find an empty tomb and these women then are confronted with a new reality the reality of the resurrection and in the face of the resurrection these women have a choice to make do they resist the resurrection do they think of it skeptically yeah I you know was the tomb really empty how did that stone roll away? Maybe it rolled on its own. I mean, maybe they approach it with skepticism. Or do they take this new reality and domesticate it? Do they tame this new reality and try to force this new reality of resurrection into their own expectations, their own personal or political agendas? Are you following me? Right. This, this, this revolutionary thing that has happened. Do we doubt it or do we absorb it into our small lives and domesticate it? Or do these women who encounter an empty tomb, uh, or do they experience the transforming power of the gospel as they realize that everything now has changed because of the resurrection of Jesus and their lives can no longer be lived in the same way? These women, like us, they go through a journey, and that's what I want to do. I want to follow their journey. They first are confronted with the reality of the resurrection, and they first are perplexed. Then they are encouraged to remember, and finally... They respond by going and telling. They go and report. So those are the three joints in the story. Those are the three moments of the journey that we're going to think about, both that the women are on, but actually it's the journey that we are on as well. Perplexed, remember, and then report. That's it right so first let's think about perplexed Um, think about the backstory here so I know the passage is uh, was on the screen for us but if you have your Bible I want to call our attention to Luke chapter 23 and what's happening just before our story the backstory is this this group of women they are from Galilee and they have been followers of Jesus for some time they knew Jesus They followed him as Messiah, they had already confessed their belief in who he was as God's anointed one, as the divine Son of God, and they even supported his ministry. Um, Going all the way back to Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, uh, Luke says this, afterward he, Jesus, was traveling from one town and village to another preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. Now listen to this, the 12 were with him, and you know who the 12 are, right? Those are the, the, the 12 disciples, uh, the 12 men that Jesus called to himself, the apostles. So um, the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Now, interesting, the 12 aren't named, but the women are in Luke chapter eight. Mary called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. Did you catch that last detail? These women from Galilee who had experienced the ministry of Jesus, had been transformed by the Gospel, and are now following Jesus, along with the twelve disciples, are actively supporting Jesus' ministry, probably out of their own wealth and their own um, resources. These women, furthermore, so fast forward in Luke's gospel, that was chapter 8, fast forward to chapter 23, right before our passage, these women were also eyewitnesses of the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. That's Luke 23, verse 49. They also saw the tomb where Jesus' body was buried, and Luke specifically says that they saw how his body was placed. In uh, Luke 23 verses 55 and 56 say this, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. They returned and prepared spices and perfumes and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now these women weren't able to go to the burial on the Sabbath day because as good Jews that they can't do any work on the Sabbath day. So after Jesus was crucified, they had witnessed those events, they went back to a place where they were resting and they were preparing spices and perfumes. Now, now in verse 21 of chapter 4, that's where our story begins. And it says there, verse, 20, uh, verse 1 of chapter 24, on the first day of the week, now realize in the Jewish uh, way of reckoning a week, that's Sunday, so the Sabbath day, uh, Jesus has been crucified uh, on Friday. Uh, the women have rested on the Sabbath day, Saturday, and now Sunday morning, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. Now. Now, we know that uh, Jewish uh, tradition was that they did not uh, embalm a body. Uh, That wasn't their uh, way of doing things. Um, The the spices that they have brought along uh, were most likely to um, um, not to embalm the body, uh, but to cover the smell of decay and maybe slow down decomposition of a body. So, even here, as we begin the story, notice something about these women. What does their actions suggest regarding their expectations? What were they expecting to see? What were they expecting to do? They were expecting to anoint a dead body and finish the process of burial. Now, these women were longtime followers of Jesus, They were close to the inner 12. Let me just say something about us. These women were much closer to Jesus than you or I. They knew him. They knew his ministry and mission. But even they, through their actions, show that they expected to find the dead body of Jesus. They expected that everything would stay the same. They would continue being Jewish. They would observe the ritual of burial. They would keep hoping that God would one day in the future rescue them. There is no indication that they expected anything more. Now now notice how their expectations then were confronted. If you have the passage in front of you, Luke chapter 24 verse verse 2. They've come to the tomb with their spices. Verse 2 says this, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Uh, I'll keep reading. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they uh, were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. They're the angels. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. So rather than a dead body, they found the stone rolled away. They found an empty tomb. Think about this, guys. Um, The one thing they were expecting, the one thing they were prepared for, is the very thing that they did not find. Uh, no, I can't help but to think about us this morning. What were you expecting when you came this morning? <laughs> uh, to hear Paul preach, not me, right? So, yeah, I, I realize today I'm third string. <laughs> it's Eric, Paul, me, anyway. I'm fine, with, I'm fine with third string. But what did you expect when you came this morning? What are you prepared for? Uh, Yeah, the story is going to tell us about how these women who really knew Jesus well had the wrong expectation and they were prepared for the wrong thing. So let me just suggest we ought to be open to the fact that we might be expecting the wrong thing. We might be prepared uh, for the wrong thing, Uh, but keep keep following with me here. Uh, The stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty. What they had prepared for and what they were expecting is not what they found. Interesting little detail, notice that in verse 4, before the angels show up, they're already perplexed. I've always been kind of amazed by that. I would be perplexed by the angels. But they're already perplexed by the empty tomb. And one other sidebar here, notice how nonchalant Luke is when he's telling this story. I would be like waving my arms and yelling and and saying all kinds of extra detail but Luke just matter-of-factly says they found the stone rolled away from the tomb they went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus no elaboration very very short description I think that speaks to the authenticity here Luke doesn't have to oversell This incredible point because it really happened. You see, these women, in their perplexity, they were living out a reality. A story, a reality where dead people don't come back to life. That's not what they were expecting. Their assumptions about reality were shaped by what they expected uh, to find at the tomb. Rather than joy or excitement or hope in an empty tomb, they were perplexed. Their expectations were not met. And they could not connect the dots. They couldn't make sense of an empty tomb. So again, I'm wondering how do our expectations leave us perplexed at Jesus' empty tomb? I know many of us here today are Christians and many of us think, yeah, I know what to expect. Um, I know how to follow Jesus. Uh, And some of you maybe haven't followed Jesus yet. And if that's true, I'm so glad you're here. I hope this is a community where if you're struggling to have faith or thinking about faith, that this is a place where you're welcome. But I think here, we're all equal in the sense that whether Christian or not, like these women, we might have had the wrong expectations and we might find ourselves perplexed when we come face to face with the resurrected Jesus. Um, In his 2010 book, Practice Resurrection, Eugene Peterson compares the vastness of resurrection reality uh, to Dante's divine comedy. Uh, The quotation is up on the, the screen. Let me read some of this. And Eugene Peterson is capturing here, I think, what I'm trying to communicate in terms of our wrong expectations. Peterson says this, one of the persistent difficulties in becoming A mature uh, mature in Christ is thinking small. Most of us keep trying to fit the life of Christ into our lives. We resolve to make room for God. I'm sorry to stop and read, but I can't help but to chuckle there. Make room for God. I've heard that phrase a lot. I teach on a college campus that's a Christian campus. Make room for God. What does that mean? He's God. He created the universe. Have you ever been to Yosemite? It's huge. Have you ever seen the Grand Canyon? It's huge. How do you make room for that God? I mean, but think about how we've got that backwards. He's the God of the universe who has condescended and come near to you. We don't make room for him. We bow. Okay, resolve to make room for God. But more often than not, we end up with a lot of religious clutter. Boy, I know what that's like. Um, uh, Instead of becoming large, we find ourselves feeling claustrophobic. Dante's great poem brings us into a quite unimaginably large and comprehensive world of God and church, sin and salvation, the country I live in and neighbors I have, hell and heaven, nothing is left out, everything and everyone are included, politics and business, war and family, family. the famous and the ordinary, everything has to do with God, everyone has to do with everyone. We can't cramp God into our small lives. Dante fits us into the largeness of God, where we have room to grow up. Oh, that's what these women are confronted with, with an empty tomb. It's a new reality that spills over every expectation they might have had, and it actually reconfigures the world. And I confess, as a Christian, I have the ability to make that grand reality so small in my life. It becomes an issue of how often I pray, or it becomes an issue of what do other people think of me? Are my kids behaving? (laughs) Am I respected? Are you following what I'm saying? I make this incredible resurrection reality something so small. Here at the empty tomb, we find ourselves perplexed that God would not be manipulated into our religious expectations. Yes, I said manipulated. His kingdom will not be truncated into our narrow and self-serving political and social agendas. Gulp. Here's where I offend people. Jesus refuses to be co-opted into our versions of social justice or making America great or whatever it is that we think is most important. And even at their best, these things are too small. Jesus is the living Lord who in the empty tomb brings about a new reality, a new kingdom, a new set of priorities. Will will we remain perplexed over our unmet expectations? There's a choice we have or will will we remember? So second, we're following the story of the women, Um, and it's our story as well. So after perplexion, or being perplexed, uh, they're called to remember. Look at the end of verse 5 through verse 8. So the women were terrified at the beginning of verse 5 and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead, asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Although perplexed and terrified, the women weren't left there. And Thanks be to God here we find the key question and it's the title of my sermon the question that challenges our expectations and the women their perplexity Why are you looking for the living in the Greek? There's literally why are you looking for the living one? Among the dead Um, Fellow believers brothers and sisters. Do you hear the rebuke in the question? Uh, The rebuke is twofold Uh, First, the question implies you are looking for the wrong thing. Now, that's kind of recall the first point being perplexed. That's kind of what I've been talking about uh, in that first point. They expected to find a dead body, thus they came looking for the wrong thing. They had the wrong expectations. They were not looking for the living one. They were looking for one who was dead, who needed to be prepared for burial. So. The implicit first rebuke of the question is, you're looking for the wrong thing. You have the wrong expectations. But second, the question also implies that you're looking in the wrong place. You should know not to look for Jesus in a graveyard. I wanted to say something cute this morning about looking for Jesus in the church, but it's too soon after graveyard, I thought, oh, that, that's, a, that's bad. Um, and you're not laughing, so that's bad. I shouldn't have even said it. Um, but again, I'm trying to get at this idea of what are our expectations. Where, where maybe, it, this isn't the graveyard, but maybe we you know, expect that Jesus will be more tame here than he really is. The angels at the graveyard say, uh, he's not here, he has risen. Looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. Where in your life have you experienced that? Looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. I'm not sure what you need to hear this morning, so I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to speak. Um, Looking for, looking. This is a family service, so maybe my illustration should be tame here. But yeah, looking, looking for intimacy. Adults, you know what I'm talking about. Online. Yeah, but that's not real intimacy. You follow what I'm saying it's it's you're looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place you want to be known you want to have intimacy with another human being but online is not a place to find it um, you, you desperately want to find relief from the challenges stresses that you're experiencing job or broken relationship or finances and maybe one more drink Will bring a little more solace, but you find yourself drinking alone. That's looking in the wrong, wrong thing, wrong place. Or, or maybe even being religious, uh, becoming like the older son in the parable of the prodigal son—someone who's very religious, very obedient, but running away from God or manipulating God with obedience. Right? Wrong thing, wrong, wrong place. I'm not sure what else to say in terms of illustration, but. How is it that we look for the wrong thing in the wrong place? Here back with the women at the graveyard, rather than leaving them in this implicit rebuke that the question brings, the angels encourage them to remember, to remember the words of Jesus. When our wrong expectations are confronted by rebuke, when we find ourselves in the wrong place, remember. Remember what the Lord has said. Uh, Here in Luke 24, the angels say, remember what was spoken, and hear what they say, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. Really, um, Luke is referring back earlier uh, to his gospel in chapter nine. Uh, And let me read a little bit of Luke nine, where Jesus says to his disciples, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. But Jesus strictly warned and instructed them and told them to not say anything, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, to be killed and to be raised on the third day. Let these words sink in. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement. It was concealed from them so that they could not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. This had always been the plan. Uh, Jesus was telling his disciples from the very beginning. Uh, Here, the angels tell the women to remember. It's necessary for the Son of Man to be handed over. It's necessary for him to be crucified. It's necessary for him then to rise on the third day. This is the story. Remember, this is real reality. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. It's not like the kingdoms of the world. Here, the women are called to remember. They're called to um, remind themselves of what real reality is all about. Remember how I started in terms of the calendar reminding us of, of our real reality? Well, I thought of an illustration where it's, it's a really bad idea to forget who you are. So I like cop shows um, and, and I'm thinking of several episodes in cop shows where the really brave cop goes undercover, right? And instead of wearing his police uniform, he starts wearing a leather jacket and he you know, starts hanging out with the drug dealers and he you know, gets some tattoos and he starts using different language so he can fit in. And, and, and week after week, he's, he's hanging out with this crowd, he's getting in, he's winning their trust, but all the while, he is in danger of forgetting why he's doing what he's doing, right? So easily, he could walk over a line and become the drug dealer he's trying to find out. He has to consistently remind himself. And here's the real danger, and I like the illustration. When we cut ourselves off from others, right, the cop is all by himself. He's not hanging out with his cop friends. He's all by himself. That's when we are in the greatest kind of peril to forget who we are to fade into the background, to lose our identity. Um, Forgetting who we are. Uh, Here is where we need every Sunday to uh, follow the liturgy, to, to take the elements at the table, to be reminded of Of the resurrection, that there is a new reality, a new world that we're living out. Um, Here N.T. Wright, uh, another quotation that's helpful to confront us with the reality of the resurrection. N.T. Wright notes this, if Christ has been raised then this shows that on the cross he defeated death and hence sin and hence all evil. And injustice once and for all Easter isn't just about one person going through death and out the other side as a crazy maverick event unrelated to anything else a sort of one-off display of supernatural power it is the unveiling of God's answer to the problems of the world if we really believed that that in the resurrection we have the answer to all the problems in the world I think we would not only view ourselves in a different way, we, we would respond in a different way. Jesus in the resurrection is God's answer to evil, oppression and injustice. Jesus' resurrection is God's answer to hope and life and flourishing and shalom. The resurrection changes everything. It creates a new reality. Um, maybe some of you like Tolkien's work and. The Lord of the Rings in in the last of those books Return of the King there's this really really poignant moment where Sam Samwise says this he says Gandalf I thought you were dead but then I thought I was dead myself is everything sad going to come untrue what is happening to the world a great shadow has departed said Gandalf and then he laughed and the sound was like music, like water in a parched land. As he, Sam, listened to the, the thought came to him that he had not heard laughter, pure the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. Guys, the laughter is here. It's right before us. The resurrection is the laughter of a new reality. All sad things are coming untrue. Are we living in that reality? That's what we need to remember. The, the women here are called to remember that. And if you look at verse 8, it says, and they remembered his words. They actually took heart. They were encouraged. They were not left in their sadness, but they realized in their perplexed, their perplexed state, they remembered that the Lord had said these things that leads us finally to their experience of what do they do in response? They go and report. Look at verses 9 through 12. Returning from the tomb, they reported all of these things to the 11. By the way, if you're paying attention, who are the 11 now? That, that was, those are the 12 disciples. Once again, of course, minus one because in this story, Judas Iscariot had betrayed Jesus and now he is no longer one of the 12. Returning from the tomb, they reported these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of Jesus, and the other women were with them, were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stood, stooped uh, to look, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened." So, here, uh, we, we get the end of the story and how the women respond. Because of their remembering, because of their seeing the empty tomb, uh, the women uh, returned to the eleven and reported. They became witnesses, witnesses of the resurrection. Now, now notice, like, these, these women already know that they live in a social context where their word wasn't taken very serious, so here's a couple of observations. First, first notice um, that these women are, they're named. Uh, we get their names. Again, like chapter eight, Luke eight, Luke names them once again. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, among others. Anytime someone is named in the Gospels, this is important. Not only does it mean that these women are imp- uh, playing an important role in the story of the Gospel, but more, They might even have still been living witnesses when Luke wrote this gospel. Um, um, I have read some very interesting research that argues that the named individuals in the gospels are named. Why? Because the gospel author knows them and is communicating, if you don't believe what I'm writing, go ask them. They're still alive. So the fact that these women are named Not only means that they play an important role in the story, but they might still be alive. They might still be witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus as Luke writes his gospel. Second, notice who receives their report as witnesses. The 11. The 11 are those who receive the witness of these women. And just to underline it, that's the 11 disciples. These women were not only the first to witness the resurrection, they are the first evangelists. They were the apostles to the apostles. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty cool. This fact might not be terribly impressive to us. I don't hear anybody gasping. Um, But let me try to make you gasp. In the first century, women were not able to give testimony in a court of law. Uh, Their social status was so low that That wouldn't have been received. But despite their low social status, these women saw the resurrection, and they were not afraid to go and report and tell. This low social standing did not keep them from responding, is what I'm trying to say. And they knew that it wasn't about their recognition, it wasn't about their power, or really lack thereof. Rather, the truth of the resurrection was so great, so transformative, that these women responded by announcing the greatest news that they had ever heard. Now, one more thing about the women being the first to witness the resurrection and speak about it. Um, It's significant because, as I just mentioned, uh, this was somewhat scandalous because the testimony of a woman would not be accepted in court at this time. So follow this logic with me, if you would. If the Gospels, from a skeptical point of view, if the Gospels were fabricated, if this is something Luke is making up. then why would he have chosen women to be the first uh, witnesses of the resurrection? Surely, if Luke was fabricating his gospel story, he would have put prominent men in the role of seeing Jesus' empty tomb and then communicating that to others. Why? Because in the social environment of the first century, that would have been more believable. But because this, now let me say it this way, because this embarrassing detail is recorded in Luke's gospel I think it makes it all the more authentic it's at the witness of these women that the first announcement of Jesus's empty tomb is made to the very disciples that follow Jesus and from there they continue to witness so from being perplexed to remembering to being a witness that's the story that's the journey these women have been on I think that's the journey that we might be on as well so why do you look for the living among the dead? Um, I, I think we can look for the living among the dead if we want to. Um, the Lord will let us try every, everything possible uh, to find life, perhaps. He, he wants us to find out, maybe for, for our own, on our own experience, uh, that our ideas of what brings life, our ideas of what might bring fulfillment, uh, won't actually bring us real life. Our attempt to fullness of life or peace or shalom will actually not lead to what we're looking for Um, a Couple of quotes to finish here in my last uh, uh, Kind of conclusion Um, again Eugene Peterson says this he says when we squander life on anything less than The God revealed in Jesus and made present in the spirit we miss out on life itself resurrection life the life of Jesus When we segregate life into secular and sacred, we confine the so-called secular into what happens only on Sundays or what happens in heaven. And when we do that, we are crippled and prevented from enjoying the glory of God that pulsates in the so-called secular The Christian life was never intended to be a conventional, cautious, careful, tiptoeing through the tulips way of life, avoiding moral mud puddles and staying out of trouble. All just hoping to accumulate the enough marks of good behavior to ensure a happy life. That's not what the gospel is about. That's not what life of resurrection life is about. Rather, the resurrection opens up this new world one where God is renewing all things. N.T. Wright again says this, if Easter faith is only about me and perhaps you finding a new dimension in our own personal spiritual lives uh, in the here and now, then Christianity becomes simply a warmth in the heart religion instead of a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven kind of religion. It becomes focused on me and my survival, my sense of God, my spirituality, rather than outwards on God and on God's world that still needs the kingdom message so badly. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes what the New Testament insists that it is, good news for the whole world. The living God has dealt with evil once and for all, And this is now at work by His Spirit, uh, and is now, sorry, at work by His Spirit to do for us and the world what He did for Jesus uh, at that first Easter day. Those who celebrate the mighty resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, have an awesome and non-negotiable responsibility. When we say, hallelujah, Christ is risen, we are saying that Jesus is the Lord of the world and all the present would-be Lords of the world. Are not there's a new way of living because of the resurrection so here I end with some questions what would it mean for you to live out the resurrection here and now what would change think about your expectations uh, what you want what are you looking for from God like these women you might find yourself perplexed to find that you're looking maybe for the wrong thing in the wrong place But at that moment, let me encourage you as the angels encourage the women, remember, remember, Christ is crucified and he has been raised to new life to bring about a new world, a new reality, a new kingdom where you and I find our greatest joy, our greatest hope and fulfillment in becoming witnesses, ones who continually point to the risen Lord living out resurrection reality. Uh, may, may this be a word of encouragement for us this morning. Let me pray. Father, help us in these moments as we hear these words uh, from Luke 24. Lord, help us to be honest in moments when we are perplexed. When we come face to face with the reality that our expectations um, have not been met. We might have been uh, looking for the wrong thing. But Lord, in that moment, help us to remember um, help us to remember that, Jesus, you um, have lived a perfect life, you have died, and most importantly, you have been raised to new life. And in that new life, Lord, you call us to a new reality. Help us, Lord. Please, Lord, by your Spirit, break through our lack of understanding. Break through our um, stopped-up years, our inattentive hearts. Help us to see how the reality of the resurrection changes everything. And Lord, give us grace. Renew us so that we might be uh, those witnesses that bring the good news of the resurrection to others. Lord, do these things in our lives because
0: we cannot do them for ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.